everybody, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi viewing podcast. My name is Donnie. I am your slightly uh, raspy-voiced veteran. I am your wonderful neophyte. Um, and we are here today talking about Degrassi Season 1, Episode 9, which is called Coming of Age. Uh, before we begin, though, I do want to give a quick content warning. We're going to be talking about menstruation a lot this episode, so if this is something that triggers you, uh, something that's dysphoria-related, uh, you may want to sit this one out because we're going to be talking about it quite a bit. Um, just wanted to get that ground ground rule out of the way before we begin. That's a good one. Um, and also, that's how I feel about this episode so far. I love this episode. <laughs> oh my god, now that we got this out of the way, we could just, this is the first episode that made me remember why I love this series. I kind of got that feeling from it. I was like, this is why people like this show. <laughs> it was legitimately a joy to watch. I watched it twice because we took a break last week. So I was like, oh, I got to refresh myself. And then I started the episode. And I'm like, wait, but I love this episode too. So like, this isn't even a chore. Like, it was so good. There's so many good moments in this episode. Oh my God. Uh, let's summarize it first though. Okay. Um, so yeah, well, I'll just mainline the A plot and the B plot. Um, A-plot is Jimmy doesn't want to go home for unknown reasons. He's been spending a lot of time at Ashley's house, um, and we don't know why. It causes some strife in their relationship because Ashley wants some space all to herself, um, and it leads them to almost break up. Uh, B-plot is Emma is getting her first period. That's kind of the long and short of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think those are really succinct. And, like, I know it may sound like a hard sell at first, and trust me, like, the first few moments of it, I was a little nervous. But, like, as it continued, it was an absolute delight. The A-plot is a great exploration of boundaries and how important and how difficult it is to maintain boundaries. And then your uh, B-plot was that really trying time where for those for people who you know people who have gone through menstruation can kind of speak to it's that first moment that first time you don't entirely know what's happening and when it does it could be a potentially mortifying experience and they were this Degrassi like didn't pull any punches with this one and I'm pleasantly surprised yeah uh for once their whole um for once, them going there, like, I didn't feel like was exploitative. It was just like, this happens, and it's not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seemed like, finally, we were got some payoff in many different ways with a lot of these characters. It felt like there was, I don't know if you felt this way, Frank, but it felt like they were doing at least some callbacks to other episodes and some of the character development from other episodes. And it actually felt like it was trying to build towards something as opposed to just kind of these hack jobs that some of these episodes have been where it's like, oh, oh, oh well, let's talk about Ritalin. Uh, who, who we have that we can talk about this with? Uh, Spinner's kind of out there. Okay. Like, this genuinely felt like it was a good build off of the characterization efforts that were made by the past episodes um, and made, and honestly, like, a lot of characters came out of this and, I, well, obviously, we'll go to your rankings, Frank, at the end, but, like, a lot of these characters got to that level that made me remember how much I love all of them. Yeah, um, because there were some surprise, like, there were a few surprises mm -hmm. that I really liked, um, 
regarding the B-plot. Um, and yeah, uh, I don't know, like, and actually, okay, so I was the reason, I'm just gonna, just wanna tell the story real quick, I was the mm. reason we took a break last week, cause the weekend before that I had a wedding and I was entertaining guests, so I was just kinda drained, and like, I watch a lot of crap with Susie for Teen Girl Talk, but I don't care as much about the characters when I watch stuff for Teen Girl Talk, like, I don't know if it's just my, like, parental instincts kicking in, because I'm, like, 32 now, so I'm at, like, my body's like, you should have been a father by now, <laughs> but, like, it's so stressful sometimes to watch these kids go through stuff, because they are, they're kids, it's not like, well, that's, cl like, I'm watching, we watched two weeks of Riverdale, and I'm just like, that's clearly an adult, <laughs> like, that is so much an adult, like, he is fully developed, like, Seeing these kids go through these things, it's just like, I hate this because I don't want these children to suffer. <laughs> so that's why I was like, we have such a backlog. I need a break. I need to rest. <laughs> I can't with this. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> so, but like, then we watched this episode and I was like, these kids can take care of themselves too. <laughs> yeah, there's some just such great conversation points that happen in this episode. I mean, so you have your A plot, right? And your A-plot is all about Ashley and Jimmy trying to establish boundaries in their relationship. Ashley is feeling a bit smothered. She feels that because Jimmy is always there, um, which, by the way, was a first a hard sell for me because I'm like, I feel like they're only together when it's convenient for the plot. But anyway, um, <laughs> but like, you know, they're having this conversation piece like she's talking to Terry and like saying like, oh, you know, he's always coming over. I'm getting overwhelmed. I don't really like him always being around, um, which is a legitimate thing to have. And the fact that a middle schooler is kind of able to identify that and articulate it as such is really important, I think, for a viewer that, that that's that age. Um I mean, we tease and laugh and joke about middle school relationships, like, oh, what are you doing? Just holding hands and going to the movies? And, like, you know, is it the end of the world, you know, with the trials and tribulations of middle school relationships? Not necessarily, but there is a conversation piece that Degrassi's trying to bring up here where you can still have relationship issues in middle school. They can still overwhelm you and impact you. Um, and that's what I loved about the plot with this one, the fact that Ashley was bringing up a legitimate concern that you can see anybody who has romantic relationships or even friendships have at any age, whether you are in eighth grade, whether you're in high school, college, well into adulthood, this conversation piece of when is it too much to, like, is it possible to see somebody too much? The answer is yeah, sometimes it is. And how do you work from there when you identify that problem? It's a really great exploration of that, I felt. Yeah, um, like... Because you run into the constant thing of just, like, this person likes me and I don't want to hurt their feelings because they're not necessarily a bad per Like, that's, that was kind of the thing mm -hmm. um, about this whole A-plot is that Jimmy, like, in his dealings with Ashley is not being a bad guy. No, not at all. In fact, he's going above and beyond. Like, at first when we saw some of the stuff, so the, the part of this episode is... 
his re- Jimmy's relationship with Toby. He's gotten very close to Toby. He teaches him basketball, and Toby definitely sees him as like kind of like a mentor of sorts. Um, and at first, I was like, "Oh no, are we going for a plot where Jimmy's trying to be manipulate like manipulative?" I was so worried, especially because the track record with Jimmy has been awful. <laughs> but instead, it was really a conversation of how like you know. Jimmy has been able to create a family of sorts with Ashley's family. He fits in. Um, his like Ashley's mom likes him a lot, and she refers to him as her third kid. Yeah, like she's incredibly fond of this kid, and like doesn't mind going out of her way to help him feel like he belongs. Toby adores Jimmy in this, and I thought that was actually the strengths of this plot was how invested Toby was in this. Bringing back to the past episodes where he has trauma associated with his parents' divorce. He has gone through a lot of stuff and has felt abandoned in many ways because his parents, in his words, like, you know, they fought, they didn't try to fix it, they left, they, like, split up, and for all intents and purposes made Toby's life very stressful. And to see that interplay between himself and Ashley, who's also a child who has parents who are divorced but for very different reasons, was a really good, interesting thing. It was really good seeing those two have a conversation with each other and Toby being like, oh, you're just going to give up. Like, you're just giving up like my parents, like our parents, actually, he says. And she points out, like, my dad was, my dad's gay. Like, (laughs) we had to, like, they had to break up for very different reasons from yours. And to have that shown that just because you both experience a similar thing or come from a group, like, have a similar experience, so in this case being kids with divorced parents, doesn't mean that every experience and every emotional development of divorced kids is going to be the same. And I thought that was a very, very, very smart move on Degrassi's part. I I was just like, oh my god, I'm seeing some nuance. Yeah, no, there was like legitimate nuance in this episode. I thought it was great. Um, And then with Jimmy, um, oh my gosh, like, I don't know about you, but like, my parents, my parents are working parents. Like, I have, my mother... My mother is a pharmacist, um, and because of that, she had to work really, really long hours, and there were times where my mother has not come back home until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Mm. So, and my dad works, you know, until around, like, 6 o'clock. So, for a while, and now we're getting personal, but whatever, it was Degrassi, we were gonna get personal. Like, for a long time, I was kind of, the only adult that I really saw was my grandmother a lot of the time, mm-hmm. during weekdays, and in many ways, she kind of was the one who raised me. Um, so, in the case of Jimmy, what ends up getting revealed is, like, his parents are just constantly working. Yeah. They're just always working, and the fact that Jimmy feels alienated from his own home because he doesn't have a family there and he desperately wants to be in Ashley's where there is life and there are people and there's people who like him. It it hit hard. Like I got really emotional when he goes into the empty house. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of the break, like, cause it's his birthday. Yeah. Besides just the, you know, heartbreakiness of a kid coming home to no one. It's also his birthday and they're not there. I don't even think the note they leave behind says happy birthday. I don't it, think it does. It just says, Jimmy, order a pizza if you want for dinner. And then, like, he like what broke me was he calls the pizza place, and he's <sighs> on a first-name basis with the pizza guy. Yeah, like, he's, like, the kind that has his usual order and things like that. 
And, and like, maybe this is very suburbia of me, but there's something especially sad. I mean, this is very Jersey suburbia, I feel like, before I finish this sentence. But it's very upsetting to me that he has his own personal order at pizza because it's like, usually in that, when that happens, it's like, it's the family because Fridays, the you know, the parents don't cook and they get a pizza and it's fun and then the, reg the regulars, but in his case, it's that it's because he's alone and he's not going to always be able to make food. We know that he's an athlete. He's a lot of things to do. So he's a regular because he's alone. Yeah. And there is something very, very sad about that. Yeah, like... <laughs> And what, what you said reminded me of um, a line from American Beauty, and every other Friday, Red Lobster. Yeah. It's like, it's like, there isn't that for him. Like, there isn't this norm, this, like, it's, it's very obvious that, like, his parents work long hours, and not only that, but, like, they will frequently not be able to come back at an adequate hour. And as somebody who had a mother who did the same thing, it it hurt it hurt a lot like it moved me in a way that i really didn't expect first season degrassi to do yeah um yeah it's uh it was like it was rough like, yeah um should we get into the summary of the plots here i mean so i, I, don't, yeah, I don't know what else is there to say yeah okay well actually one of the things i one of the things I've been noticing is that, like, Ashley's mom understands more clearly. I mean, you know, she's an, you know, she's an, an adult. Because mm -hmm. she says, like, I just feel so sorry for the kid. He doesn't seem to have anybody. And Ashley's like, mom is a really interesting character. Yeah, but she doesn't seem, to, like, to pass that on to her daughter. No. But... Or... But also, like, I feel like that's also kind of good because it's just like, well, I'm not going to enforce my viewpoints on you. Like, yeah. I just, like, I'm going to let you make this mistake, you know? Yeah. Well, I wonder if this also speaks to, oh, man, are we going to deep dive on Ashley's mom? I think we are. Yeah. I, I also feel like to Ashley's mom Ashley and I think what really interests me is that especially like given her age given this is the early aughts not to say that she's one of the first people to experience this but surely she had no rules to this where she experienced something that you know experienced marrying somebody in that partner saying hey I'm gay this isn't gonna work and I feel like she herself has experienced life without really much of a guidebook, especially when it comes to interpersonal things. And I think she has a better understanding than some parents may that sometimes there is no rule book and you need to figure it out for yourself. And like, it doesn't feel like irresponsible. Yeah, no. It feels like she's somebody who, if something was to happen, she would intervene. But... It seems like she really wants Ashley to figure stuff out on her own because sometimes she doesn't have all the answers. And I think she's been in times in her life where she never had the answer. <laughs> and I think that she understands how that's a learning experience in of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, all things that we've seen them get thrown a bunch of curve. Like, we've seen... Ashley, we've seen those two parents more than any other parents in this series. We have. Like, Spike comes a close second, but, like... So, like, Spike's only been featured maybe 
three episodes versus it feels like I see, or rather, I think the thing is, is that Toby and Ashley have had a lot of plots, but a lot of their plots connect back to their families. Like, even when Emma is talked about, a lot of her plots don't necessarily connect back to Spike. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Emma gets featured, but Emma may only see Spike maybe once or twice in an episode. Meanwhile, you have, like, a plot, like, Ashley's plot with her father, which inevitably featured a lot of her mother, because that's just as much of the story as the situation with the father. Um, And also, like, some of this, like, and then Toby also had a parent-heavy plot and things like that, that I think that their stories just facilitated the parents better. But in the process, I actually appreciate, I really appreciate it, because it's, I just find, I, upon this rewatch, I never really thought about Ashley's mother really at all until doing this podcast, but there's something so interesting about her. Yeah, and actually, now that we're talking about it, I do, th- like, I was thinking about the way that Toby and Ashley view, like, view their parents, or, mm-hmm. like, even this relationship, and, like, Toby has a very pessimistic outlook, um... In that, like, people don't, like, just don't try, and that's why things fail. And then, like, actually, I, like, I was thinking back to, like, when the father comes back and she sees them kiss, she's like, oh, maybe they'll get back together. Mm-hmm. So there's optimism, but also optimism that the current relationship will fail. And it's just like, there's some, there's some stuff that needs to get worked out in that family. Yeah. Because, like... Nobody thinks, like, anything's gonna work, and it's, that's a super sad place to be. Yeah, yeah, like, when you start deep diving in it, it's very interesting, um, and, and it almost, like, makes me wish that we could, I almost wish that, I don't know what I wish, I was gonna go in a weird direction, and I was like, "Mm, maybe not, but, like, it's a very interesting conversation piece to have, and I, I do appreciate that Degrassi is quote-unquote going there with regards toward this story, because it's, like, Divorce is such a complicated topic. It's something that happens to a lot of people in some way, shape, or form, whether it's something where parents divorce or somebody themselves goes through a divorce. And when it's when you put the context on the child, there's this emotional narrative that happens for many kids, which is like, oh, man, I want my parents back together. What would be the consequences? I don't really know. I just know that this was what I had. I liked what I had. I want to see this work out again. I don't know the consequences, but a well, kind of. Well, one of the most telling things about this show is that the coming back together moment and the heartwarming final shot, if you can even call it that, because I still feel like this is... Whenever they do that freeze frame, and I know they do it every episode, Mm -hmm. sometimes I just feel this, like, air of menace around it. Like, here's a snapshot of what what was to later, like... When we tear it away from you, we'll just put that knife in. You'll remember that. Um, but like, fair. But like any other show, like the there would be an apology scene between Toby and Ashley, and they'd be like, there'd be something like, "I'm really glad you're my sister." Or, I'm really glad you're my brother. There's none of that. We did like things just happen. Like I'm just thinking back to Toby, like coming home, being like, "Girls are crazy. Clean this up before mom sees." There's no, like, heartwork, there's no hugging, there's no reconnection. It's just, Toby snaps at him, at Ashley, Ashley snaps at him, 
And that, for all we know, that's it. And they just mm-hmm. forgot about it and never apologized. And part of me likes that because it does feel realistic in that, like, sometimes people are just mean to each other. Not even mean to each other. They're just brutally honest with each other. Mm-hmm. They don't think the other person is owed an apology because they still think they're right. And it just, it it hurts. Like, Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of, and like, you know, are there times where Degrassi ends a plot and I think that that's not really when the story should end? Absolutely. But there's something to be said about certain relationship dynamics, particularly relationship dynamics. I guess this is really our big sibling exposure at this point. But there is something pleasant in a way that, like, we're seeing sibling dynamics that don't just get tied off with a bow. Because, like, if you've ever had a sibling, you could probably, or had a dynamic like having a sibling, you probably know. Like, there is no tying up in a bow. It's a constant thing where even if you have a great relationship with your siblings, the tear-jerky, hugging, I'm sorry I was mean to you, apology doesn't always happen (laughs) yeah sometimes you just gotta like take it on the chin and just keep going (laughs) yeah and it's like there's something very nice about that um it's and it doesn't like 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 i said before like sometimes are there moments where i think the plot is dropped the writers drop the ball yes but this didn't feel that way no it this like i actually i looked at the um people who wrote it i think two out of the three of them were women Ah, we should be doing that more often. Well, because I, I was just like, I was like, okay, this menstruation plot, like, it's done really well. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, there had to be some women on the staff. Lo and behold. <laughs> but um, I think also speaking to that, it probably also kind of is why it nailed that smothering aspect for Ashley. This, like, feeling that... She is being depended on too much in many ways. Like, it really speaks to an experience I think a lot of people in general share, but I know it's a narrative that you hear a lot of women experience. This idea of feeling like they are constantly being depended on. And, you know, it's not as bad as I think it can get with certain dynamics, where it's like the person who is seen as more feminine in the relationship is constantly picking up the pieces of the part other partner because like in theory that partner doesn't have to be as responsible like we see that happen a lot in in life and in media um and there was something just so there was so much validity in both perspectives jimmy's constant need to feel that he belongs somewhere but also ashley's feeling of being overwhelmed by the situation as well like there's just so much like it was one of those moments where i was like Oh, I'm so glad that, like, I'm glad that hopefully a couple kids saw this episode and hopefully was able to kind of take it to heart. Yeah. Um, I actually just looked it up. It was only written by women, Tessie Cameron and Susan Nielsen. Thank you, these writers, because <laughs> that, there's so much, there's so much good stuff in this. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to say about the A-plot as of right now? Um, uh... I there there's also a scene we haven't really talked about um where Toby tries to fix what's going on between Jimmy and yeah. Ashley mm-hmm. where like Toby's saying like hey because one of the shots we see is Toby or Jimmy teaching Toby basketball and um 
Toby's like, hey, you remember when you told me to, um, sometimes you had to step away from a move to, like, figure it out, to get some perspective on it? Jimmy's a bit slow on the uptake on this one. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, though I feel, I understand that, because, like, as far as Jimmy knows, there's not a problem. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, I just also, I just really like the fact that it's not, like, Jimmy's being abusive, or Jimmy's being mean, or, like, any of those things. It's just, like, Jimmy is lonely. Yeah, like, that's all there is to it. It's, we see nothing that's, like, because, like, when you see the smothering plots, a lot of the time they're thinly veiled emotional abuse, right? Like, at the very least, sometimes it goes into physical, even. Um, but with this one, like, I was waiting for him to have ill intentions. I was waiting for that reveal, but the more the plot progresses in this episode, the more you realize that he's just a lonely kid. He genuinely likes helping out Toby. Probably makes him feel like, I'm sure he views Toby as like a sibling replacement of sorts in the sense that he's like imparting his wisdom on him and helping him out. And there's something just very innocent about the whole thing that makes you want to root for both characters. Like nobody's necessarily like, or multiple characters, I think we also, to a certain extent, want to see Toby be able to feel happy during this. And it's like, it's kind of a relief, especially because Jimmy has gotten such an awful rap mm -hmm. in so many of these episodes. He has been, like, a hitman. He has, like, stolen drugs. Well, not really stolen, so much as peer-pressured the crap out of his friend for drugs. Like, we haven't had the best of image of him, especially when he's, like, in his relationship dynamics... And to see that this is a kid who has every good intention, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he is, that the relationship itself is healthy, was a really, really good, enjoyable piece of television to watch. Yeah, and even his react, like, because there's, the, they do break up. Um, mm -hmm. Ashley comes over on Jimmy's birthday to his house. Oh, it God. Seems devastating. Cool. And he's just like, well, you don't want to break up with me on my birthday? Like, why don't we just pull it off like a band-aid, just get it over now. And it's just really hard to watch because Ashley gets so upset and Jimmy's also upset. Because, mm -hmm. like, he's been, blind he's been blindsided on his birthday. And uh, another scene we forgot um, to talk about is the scene where Jimmy's like, do you want to come over on my birthday? My mom's making lobster. Right, yeah. Yeah, like, he's so ex he seems so excited he's going to have a home-cooked meal. <laughs> he's going to see his parents. I know, like, he's going to see his parents. He's going to have a family, like, play out for once in his life. Jesus. God. We're so not used to having good episodes that we're like, oh my god, there's this, there's this, we gotta talk about this. <laughs> but, uh, oh my goodness. Because, like, you, I mean, that's something I think all kids do is they, like... They lie to try and make themselves feel better, in, mm -hmm. in, in you know, in front of like their in front of their classmates and friends, to try and cover up like I'm in pain and I don't know how to talk to you about this. Yeah, yeah, because it's like even with the case of Ashley and Toby and their parents being divorced and you know their mother and father together, they're not alone like Jimmy is. Like we see the two of them constantly with their family in some capacity. Um, we don't know too much about every character's family situation. 
um, maybe some passing comments of dialogue um, about it, but like, this is kind of, or Terry, we see her father, um, even if, even if like her mother has passed away, like she still clearly has a good dynamic with her father. We have Spike for Emma, uh, we have Tracker for Sean, who even if, you know, he's this wild older brother, he seems to clearly want to support Sean. Like, we've seen a lot of unconventional, but still familial dynamics. And to see a kid with the absence of that for the first time, really, at least this extensively in the se- in the series, it really was devastating. Yeah. Like... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I kept wondering which way they were going to go with it. Mm-hmm. I honestly... After, after basketball diaries, <laughs> like I expected a different, like a different home life, but instead we got like a far sadder one. I don't know. I felt yeah, yeah. Um, did they? I don't want to spoil it because I know that they eventually revealed Jimmy's parents' occupation. They didn't say anything in this, did they? No. No. Okay, then I'm not gonna say anything about it. Because I'd rather try and keep you as spoiler free as possible. <laughs> I you. I will say this much: we do see, we do learn what Jimmy's parents' occupation is, but um, it. I mean, it it adds another like layer to this potentially, but um, I forget when they reveal it. I couldn't tell you when, but eventually we we meet and find out more about his parents. But like at this point in time, it's just a big old bummer. Yeah, like. I don't think I've been this bummed with a family reveal than I was. We watched like the new Beverly Hills 90210, and like, which I'm pretty certain has a Degrassi alum on it, by the way. I think so. Um, <laughs> but like, this girl sees her her dad cheating, and then like she uh. she's like reveals it to her mom, and her mom's like, "Yeah, I know. Oh. If your father does that, but I want to keep this lifestyle." And I was just like, oh, there goes my heart. It's broken. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But we're not here to talk about Verlays Night too well. We're here to talk about, uh, the cross scene. Let's get into that B-plot. Heck yeah, I'm so ready for this B-plot. Oh my god. So the whole entire theme of this B-plot is menstruation. Um, and of course it opens up with Emma being in, like, a super, like, bad mood. Um, but there's some little moments in this amongst Emma being in the bad mood, which I wanted to spotlight. Number one, we get the establishment that Manny is an immigrant, which is pretty cool. She's from Manila originally. Okay. Because she, she's talking, because the big conversation piece is, like, they're all studying for, like, this test on the planets and stuff like that. And Sean who I now had canon as bisexual because he was talking about astrology and everyone knows that the LGBTQ <laughs> community has taken over astrology. It's just like, hey guys, did you know you can find out all about your signs just based on where you're born? Which I love him and he's now part of the community. Uh, so like, he, I didn't know that about the community, but I'm happy to learn. Yes, I, I, it is, it is truly a gay thing. Anyway, so, like, he's, like, super excited. He and Manny are, like, working on it. And, yeah, that's when Manny reveals, like, oh, yeah, I was born in Manila, um, which is pretty cool. So, like, we know a little bit, a very subtle way we learn a little bit more about Manny. Um, and they're just, like, goofing off. 
in a way that I think we've all had that moment of like, oh, I'm going to look up my birth chart. I don't even care about astrology. I just want to know my birth chart. And then you're like, I don't know if you've ever had this beers, but it's like, I pulled up my entire birth chart. I have no idea what half of it means. I'm like, yep, that moon is definitely in Gemini. And I don't know what that means. And it's just like, oh yes, my rising sign is Pisces. I don't really know what a rising sign means, but I know it. And it's like one of those types of moments where it's like really good. And of course, Emma is pissed. Um, it was so, I'm sorry, it was a really funny moment. <laughs> I know, I didn't, I did enjoy that. Um, but, like, and I, I can't, like, based off the nuance of this writing, I kind of was like, is Emma getting a little jealous? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what they were going for in a way, because it's like, oh, why is Emma so pissed off? It's clearly not just because she wants to study. Like, it is clearly <laughs> not. Um... <laughs> Those are, I just want to go back to the astrology being part of the LGBTQ community thing. Yes. Because I have, like, I at work, I have a bunch of people talking about their horoscopes and whatnot, and who I know aren't part of that community. Because I just wonder if it's, like, it's just kind of like a YMCA kind of thing, that there's this whole sect of people who don't understand, like, who don't, like... They're like, yeah, you're just seeing it at, like, sports games and whatnot. There's no other hidden meaning to this. <laughs> I don't think this is, I don't necessarily know if astrology has a hidden meaning. It's just that literally everybody I know, not everybody, but a large portion of people who I know who are LGBTQ are obsessed with like tarot cards and and like astrology and like will straight up like analyze people based on their signs and will ask you your signs and not just your sun sign, which is the one that most people know, which corresponds to your birthday. No, no, you must know your moon sign and your rising sign at a minimum. To, like, maintain conversation. I had a student a couple days ago. I don't know the sexuality of the student, so I won't continue this train, that part of the train of thought. Straight up asked me what my sign was. I said I'm a Sagittarius. She looked at me and she goes, oh, well, we can't get along. I'm like, what? <laughs> I get a bad rap. As a Sagittarius, I've been told I am flighty, which, I mean, is a little true. Um, and I've been told that, like, I'm not, like, I can't commit and, like, all this type of stuff. And I just want to say... That I have to be committed enough if I can maintain a long-term relationship. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, like, it's really funny seeing the ill will held. Um, like, and, like, it doesn't help that, like, I have really good friends who are Geminis. And apparently they also get, or Scorpios. And, like, those signs get pooped on a lot more than Sagittarius. And it's just, like, I'm like, this is wild. This is, like, a whole subculture that I will never fully understand. I've been on a few dates with people who are just like, oh, you're an Aquarius, and then kind of drifted away. I'm like, all right. Well, Frank, if it makes you feel any better, that's probably why we get along, because Sagittarius and, and uh, Aquarius get along. Gwyn is Aquarius. Gwyn's my partner. I don't think I've actually mentioned that on the podcast yet. My, my fiancé. Yay! Because we got engaged recently. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, we're, that's probably why we get along. Aquarius and Sagittarius are, are very compatible. <laughs> Engagement! <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole new world, ain't it? I, I don't know, it's, I don't know. Yay, yay, air horns. I'm very happy, but, like, my affect sounds like I'm not, and I want to make it clear I'm not one of those miserable, like, heterosexual people going through the motions. <laughs> I'm just somebody who can't handle the amount of individualized attention that getting engaged spurs on, and it makes me very nervous for a wedding. I understand that. <laughs> but um, anyway, Sean. Sean, he's, he's, he's bi. I've decided that's my headcanon. He's into astrology. Clearly, that means, that means that. This is an entirely, like, 
not actually based in canon. <laughs> I swear to God, I sometimes come up with headcanons that do have basis in the canon, but this is not one of them. Do you do you think Cheryl's look would be really, like, just super completed if you wore some black nail polish? Yes. A hundred percent, I think, especially because it's the early aughts, I think that he definitely could benefit from some chip black nail polish. Um, perhaps some, some fingerless gloves. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and a, I don't remember if he has a studded belt, but I think he could definitely benefit from one if he does not wear one already. Um, and that is my, my image for this Canadian punk child. <laughs> so, um, anyway, um... So she, like, Emma's being irritable, um, she, and then, I, do we cut straight to her being like, I know I failed that quiz. Oh my god, right, she's like, I failed that quiz, I definitely failed that quiz, and, and, and like, Manny's like, whoa, dude, what? <laughs> you studied so hard. Like, like, Manny's like, I don't, I don't freaking know, but I do know, like, I don't even remember what her signs were, like, I don't even know if they established it, she's like, I don't know much about anything, I don't know why you're freaking out. Um. So then, like, we, we cut to some Ashley and Jimmy stuff, which were our cover. Then we cut back to Emma, and she's watching a soap opera. Oh my god, this was the biggest damn mood. She's, like, watching the soap opera. <laughs> she's just in a heap on the couch. She's eating some sort of, like, bagged snack. She's eating, like, ruffled potato chips. Yes, yes, that's what it was. It was, like, the, something I was like, okay. The bag is as big as she is! <laughs> yes. It's definitely, like, those king-size party bags. And she's going... Going hard on that, and she's just in tears. Um, and like, what I not only was that a mood, which so I automatically love that, but I love Spike's response to it. I thought it was another instance in this episode of great parenting, where she's just like, "Oh, are you getting that feeling where you feel like you're insignificant in the whole universe? <laughs> like I've been there, I get it. Like I know we've all been there, but like." <laughs> It was, like, this really endearing scene. I mean, I already really liked Spike, but I think it's very easy to like Spike as she, you know, tried to, pr- tried to like, do anything she can to protect her daughter from a goddamn predator. But, like, to see them go through something mundane like this and, like, she gets it, it's really sweet. It seems like, and I'm sure that this is on the approach of the writers because she's a younger parent, but... It's very nice to see that, like, she doesn't feel this huge disconnect from being a middle schooler. Like, she understands the emotions of being a middle schooler. She understands that, you know, these moments of of frustration and sorrow and all that type of stuff is totally normal and not to diminish it but to reassure her that these things happen and you feel this way and that doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to always feel this way. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, so they decide to go shopping. Yeah. Um, which, I know, I fully, I fully support doing some retail therapy once in a while. Oh, yeah, and, like, it's a really... I did a lot of retail therapy this weekend. Oh, yeah, we we were both at an anime convention. Um. I bought so many D&D dice. (laughs) I'm literally surrounded by D&D dice as we are, as we are doing this podcast. I am surrounded by, like, decent... (laughs) containers of various sizes full of dye and like i am not dice i can't remember the plural anymore it's toward the end of the school year so i'm losing my mind anyway um i'm surrounded by them there are so many different types 
I'm overwhelmed. Um, but <laughs> I can't talk because I totally bought a really expensive JoJo figure. Um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure figure featuring, like, the cat stand in a really suggestive pose. So, like, when you open up the door to my apartment now, it's right there, right next to you. It's just like, hello, Killer Queen. <laughs> She's a killer queen. Oh, God, I'm so excited for that Bohemian Rhapsody movie. <laughs> I hope it's good. I, we'll see. I'm going to read a review before, it, if, if I see it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things, things that could go horribly wrong. But the trailer looks... Watching the trailer again, I will say this, I'm not going to get super into the discourse. He's definitely romantically, like, doing romantic things with two dudes in that trailer. Mm-hmm. And that makes me optimistic. Yeah. Um, though I do have to give props to Ocean's 8. I just saw that yesterday. I haven't seen it. Um, it's just, like, if you want a movie with just talented women just hanging out, and a, like, just hanging out, having a good time, and occasionally they plan a heist... That's this movie, and I love it for that. Thank God. <laughs> um, anyway. 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 So then they, they go to the mall, and then, then there's an even more mundane scene, haha, men are terrible. Yeah. Um, where, like, they're, eat, they're eating ice cream, like, they're all happy because they just, like, bought some new stuff, like, and this grody-ass cr- dude walks by and is just like, like a lick of that. Disgusting. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> It was legitimately disgusting, and that's, like, the worst part of re-watching this episode was having to see that BS. Ugh. And then, but, like, Spike just unloads oh, on this dude. Oh, she's out for blood. Oh, she's, like, full mama bear mode, and I love her for it. Oh, it was amazing. It was so good. She just, like, tells him off, and, like, oh my god, it's so, it's so good. Like, I mean, I hate that it happened, but, like... It made me really happy that, like, Spike is written this way because she's very... It kind of helps you understand Emma in a way. Like, mm-hmm. it understa- makes you understand that, like, Emma is somebody who, you know, is young, is not always going to get it right, but we've seen her already try to fight for what she perceives as right. And we see Spike do this as well, where she's going to get in a guy's face and say, like, you know, you don't objectify, like, don't objectify women like this. It's disgusting. And setting a good example for her daughter to, like, not accept this behavior. And, like, there's actually even a scene after, like, he leaves, because, like, he just walks away all disgusted because he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare she, t- like, assert her rights? Yeah, go fuck yourself, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Like, where. Like, Spike's just like, you're embarrassed because I'm making a scene, but you should be, like, that man is wrong. We're right. It's true. And it's just like, yes. Yes, Spike. She just, I love Spike. You're my Canadian Degrassi Beyonce. (laughs) What? I I don't quite follow the jump, but I believe you. Because, I don't know, like, my main go-to, like, strong assertive woman is Beyonce. Okay, I get it. So, so, so Beyonce is the archetype in this context. Yes. Spike is the Canadian example of... (laughs) Canadian on Degrassi example, because I'm sure there's, like, also some real-life badass, like, Canadian women. I'm definitely... I know some of them, so it is true. But, yeah, no, Spike has a great moment in this, and has multiple great moments, but I really like that... It wasn't just accepted as, like, a microaggression and moved on. No, it went on to, like, full-on aggression. Yeah. <laughs> coming from the coming from the right side. Exactly. The aggression came where it deserved to come from. Yeah. So, we see that. Um, and it, what, I forgot to write it down, but um, 
Spike specifically tells Emma, like, don't let anybody feel bad, like, don't make people feel, make you feel bad for being a woman, I think is what she says, or something along those lines. I'm gonna see if I can look it up. Yeah, but she kind of gives, regardless of what the quote is exactly, like, she gives Emma, she plants this really important seed in Emma's head that you shouldn't feel bad because of who you are, for lack of better terms. Like, being a woman has its baggage. It's true. Um, and anybody, and many people, both personally and also just based on observation and their own personal experience with people in their lives who are women, can speak to that. Um, and it's this really important theme that kind of connects th- very well into this menstruation plot. This I, And, you know, it's a little bit cis-normative. It's not perfect, but it does kind of reiterate that, like, look, your body is going to do certain things and you are going to appear a certain way, but that doesn't make you a lesser person because of it. Um, And that's such an important message to tell people in general, but specifically people who are not cis dudes, for lack of better terms. Um... And especially for people who do experience menstruation because society, like, treats that whole concept, they're getting, it's getting a little better, but still, like, treats it as this forbidden, awful thing. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think it's... <sighs> it's not necessarily your conversation to have, it's okay. Yeah, admittedly, yes. <laughs> like, all, like, the, like, yeah, like, this is, it's not... Okay, no, I'll, you know what, I'll speak to, like, yes, a lot of dudes are still grossed out by it, and my, my response to all of them is, grow the fuck up! Truly. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Um, it's just a thing that happens, and, yeah, it, I don't know, like, you just, you, you help, or whatever, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna jump in this conversation, it's not where it's I okay. belong. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay, um, cause I mean, like, yeah, we're getting better as a society, but like, even a couple weeks ago, I straight up like shoved a pad in my pocket, I'm not really thinking very much of it, and like, I had a kid get like super embarrassed for me, and was like, oh, oh, like, just so you know, you have a pad falling out of your pocket, and I was like, I know. <laughs> and she's like, well, I just wanted you to be around. I'm like, thank you. Like, it's all good. It happens. Like, it's it's fine. Like, as long as I'm not bleeding anywhere, like, it's all good. But we teach society, like, if you menstruate, then this is something you need to keep super hidden. Nobody is allowed to know. Nobody should be able to see it. Like, any, any mention of it should be hidden. Like, And I'm sure many people can kind of speak to this, but I know especially in, like, middle school, high school, it's, like, if you are menstruating, it's, like, and you put it, like, maybe you can, like, put your, usually, like, put your tampons or or maxi pads or whatever in, like, a bag, and then, like, you have to hide the bag also, because if you go to the bathroom with the bag, then everyone knows that you have your period, and if you leave it out in the open, then everyone definitely knows you're on your period. There's, like, this really forbidden thing I don't think schools and I don't think families help with this. And to have a parental figure say something that definitely can be taken as empowering within this context is so important. Yeah, no, I think, like, that, like, that line is something I want, like, I want every, like, just, you know, young woman, you know. 
people who menstruate. Yes, like to hear, just like, because you like you deserve to know this. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it's not gross. Yeah, no. It, it's just the way it is. Like it's it's something that people that some people in the population go through, and that's the way that it is. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I actually was just remembering there was a time in, um, uh, I was part of this feminist group in college called the Radigals, and there was, I just had, I just want to share this memory, I'm like, that like, we had a very nice night sewing, uh, reusable men- menstruation pads, like, we just got a bunch of, like, cupcakes and put on, like, bikini kill and just sat there and, like, sewed, and it was really nice. <laughs> That sounds like a lovely, very college memory. Oh, it was just, like, because we, um, it was in the women's center. Like, yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. I know where it was. I was in Radigal's for, for a little bit. I know. We went, I know. we went back there, actually, recently, and, like, we were worried that, like, the women's center would be gone. It was still there. Our banner was still there. Oh, really? Yeah. So we were all very happy about that. Nice. Um... And then, like, all the the Rowdy Gals I came through the ranks with are still out there, like, just being awesome and kicking ass. Mm-hmm. That's great. One of them's about to have a baby. And, Yay! Like, that, that little one's gonna turn out just right. Yay! <laughs> um, but let's get, let's get into, this is the part of the episode where, like, Spike had, like, raised, like, my enjoyment of this episode to the to the ceiling this is where it just busted through the roof oh my gosh yeah so so like after all of this frustration that um emma is going through this emotional tizzy that she's going through she's hanging out with her friends they're talking they're having a good time sean comes in she she apologizes to sean sean is like hey like you want to go like hang out now um and no or he apologizes first. Oh, sorry. I forgot. I our forgot good, the layers. Our good, our good, good boy. My good son. My good son apologized first because he's a good boy. Yeah, he comes up and he's like, look, I'm really sorry about, like, all that astrology stuff while you were trying to study. I entirely... Yes, yes. It's exactly like that. Oh, oh, my boy. Um... And, like, then he's like, oh, but we can go check it out now. She's like, yeah, sure. And, like, she gets up, and then Manny just yanks her back down. Like, shout out to Manny also, because it's like, well, obviously this is nothing to be ashamed of. At the end of the day, having a huge blood stain on your skirt is can is a very mortifying experience. And not to get too TMI, but, like, it's happened to me, like, where I've had that happen, and, like... You need somebody to at least let you know because you can't really check. Yeah, um, and then there's a shot of them, Manny and Manny and Emma going down the hall. And oh my god, Manny is such a good friend. Oh, and like Sean is noticeably confused when they're just like, "We need to go." Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, so they make their way to a bathroom. And they're just hanging out, or, like, Manny's just like, I'm gonna figure this out. Yeah, Manny's, like, really determined to try and find some sort of clothing. And, like, there's something really pleasant about how determined she is. Because I think that sometimes people would be like, well, like, I don't know, I'm out of ideas. You don't have any gym clothes? I don't have any gym clothes. Well, goodbye. But, like, Manny is, like, such a good friend that she's willing to cut class and take the time out of her day to try and find a way to help. And, like, the gym shorts, like, she eventually finds some gym shorts, um... 
they're definitely from like the basketball uniform closet. She totally like just stole <laughs> something from the basketball uniform closet and was gonna ask questions later. Yeah, it's better it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. That's one hundred percent what Manny did, and I love her. Alright, so then so she leaves. Um, and this is like one of my favorite parts of the episode yes, again. Yes, oh, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, Queen Peach comes in and does Oh my god! Oh my god! It was like the ice, like the cherry on top of this whole entire plot. Manny is running out to go get the. I'm sorry, I'm stealing your thunder because I love Paige so much. Um, she comes. So somebody comes in. Emma's like, "Oh, who is it?" And then it's Paige. Yeah. Um. And they have like I was just like, I. You know what? I didn't have any thought that Paige was gonna make fun of her. Like, and Paige doesn't. Paige. No. Like, this is such a good exchange. Oh my god! Paige comes in and just like, oh hey, you like you're menstruating. Do you have a pad? <laughs> yeah, and like she just straight up. What I love about it is like she just offers one. She she even says like, yeah, I know you could go to the office, but it's kind of embarrassing. So here you go, and like just passes one off to her. And I thought that was such like a a kind gesture, and it shows that. Feeling, I feel like, I feel like there's this beautiful instance of, like, understanding that this is a bodily function, and it sucks, but you don't have to go about it in a way that's super, like, shameful or anything. It's like, people have your back. Yeah, and, like, um, like... Emma says, like, I don't want people to think I'm, and, like, Paige was, like, like, me. Yes, yes. It finally addresses that issue that I feel like we were, I was hoping for um, many episodes back with the whole, like, Romeo and Juliet thing about Paige being so, like, allegedly sexually, like, viable. And having her just understand that the perception of her is very, 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 like, sexualized Mm -hmm. was a really great moment of like it made me realize i mean it affirmed to me it didn't really make me realize but it affirmed to me that like the gears are constantly turning for Paige, and she understands where she fits within the narrative of a junior high school and that it her image though she's constantly crafting it does have aspects to it that like are just the that's just how it is unfortunately yeah like one of the things i kept thinking about with Paige is that um like, or when they had this exchange, is like, Paige knows what she looks like. Yeah. And doesn't care. Yes. Like, she's just like, I'm living my best life. Like, oh my god, up? she has, like, the best retort, too, where, like, she's like, what, are you gonna be, like, me? Honey, you wish. <laughs> and, like, it was, like, this great moment where, like, we're, like, at the end of the day, like, Paige owns it. Like. And, and she also gives them, like, sage-like wisdom. Yeah. Because, like, she's like, I like being a kid, and, um, Emma's like, you're, or Paige is like, you're not a, it's not like you're not a kid anymore, you just, this thing's gonna happen, like, yeah, better to be prepared, and she's like, am I gonna get, like, boobs and whatnot? I don't want those. She's like, they're pretty rad sometimes. Oh, yeah, Paige <laughs> is my, my, uh, another headcanon, Paige, definitely into girls, definitely into girls. I wanted to believe, based on that line, that was, like, all I needed to run with it. And I was just like, ah, here we go. All right. Because, like, she's just like, they're pretty great. And I'm like, okay, okay, all right. 
But, like, Paige just, like, handled this conversation with this grace, but in a way that only Paige knows how to do it. Where it's, like, she retains, like, what I love about this scene is I feel like sometimes when you have a moment like this with a character, they get very out of character as a viewer. Like, you're like, oh, they wouldn't do that. Like, I don't believe that. I think this was just out of convenience. Paige says, stays so quintessentially Paige during this whole entire scene, and I love it. This retroactively makes me think she was definitely sincere when she was talking, when she tried to talk to Ashley about her gay dad. Yes, yes. I think it confirms that when the go- when something get turned serious, Paige understands the severity of it. Yeah, when, when the rubber hits the road, Paige is like, Paige is there to guide the, the car where it needs to go. Exactly. She's... She's not, yeah, she's not a mean girl. She's just a girl. (laughs) Yeah, like, I think she wants to be a queen bee, and I think she's going through whatever she needs to do to do that. But I also think that she's somebody who, at the end of the day, does take relationships seriously enough that if her friends need anything or if she wants to support them, she'll try her best. And she understands that her image may get in the way of this, but, or even just, like, to help somebody that she's not even friends with. Like, she doesn't... We haven't really seen her interact with Emma, like, at all. Maybe an eye roll. Well, no. Well, no. She, uh, she's kind of, actually, now that I think about it, she's taking kind of a mentorship yeah. of them. Because, like, she's the one who tells Emma, don't let a boy dictate your good time. Right. Yeah. So, oh, man. So, Donnie and I were texting about this episode before we saw each other. And, like, um, Donnie called um, Sean my future, my future boy male feminist. I think Paige is the actualized feminist in this cast. Oh, I agree. I think that... Okay, this is going to be a really... <laughs> Have you ever watched Vanderpump Rules? That name sounds so familiar, Because but it's no. a Bravo reality TV show, and Paige, to a certain extent, reminds me a lot of this character. Not character, because they're real people. Uh, this person, Lala. And, like, obviously Vanderpump Rules is super problematic. It's definitely just, like, my trashy TV escape. But there's this one person on it, Lala, who, like, comes off in a way and, like, starts on a pretty bad foot. She says some pretty awful things, but as the seasons go on, she kind of is more invested in, like, empowering fellow women and things like that. And I feel like Paige has a... A more fictionalized, hence much clearer narrative with this, where it's like, we see her, and she's doing things, and they're not always the right thing, but at the end of the day, there's this aspect of empowerment, of female empowerment, that she definitely believes in, and because of it, like, when she has the opportunity to infuse it into her conversation, she's going to. Yeah. Paige loves girls, and I don't necessarily mean that in a gay way. I mean that in the sense that she truly believes in and wants to support the girls that she interacts with or just happens across yeah yeah or just happens that's why i said interacts with now does that mean Paige is perfect no No. she did awful (laughs) things to terry um i think that her own motivations get the best of her a lot of the time she's also an eighth grader so like i don't feel like like hashing out all of like her her bad things at this point in the show she's not perfect but i think that there is this desire in her that to at the end of the day help out other people and i think that's what makes her so likable to me that it's always going to be on her terms Mm -hmm. but when she does it it's so sincere and wonderful and that's probably why at the so after so many years of my relationship with this series Paige is somebody that always stands out and always somebody i think about yeah 
Um, so, um, they, whatchamacallit, um, Manny comes back with the giant yes. shorts, and it takes literally two of them to hold them up, because they're it's so It's so endearing! Are they, you know what I think? They might be spinner shorts. <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> they were definitely, like, big enough. Though, also, because I feel like, like, Manny would just, like, see spinners, like, spinner, I need some shorts, and he'd be like, uh, okay. <laughs> You know what? You're 100% right. You'd definitely be like, yeah, sure, sure, whatever. I'll do it. <laughs> this makes perfect sense to me. I love this. This is my new, this is my other, <laughs> other part of the headcanon of this, of this episode. Because, like, you know Spinner would be the kind of kid who would wear the, like, the, like, button-off, uh, like, Adidas pants and gym shorts. So he definitely would just be, like, rips off his, like, button pants and we're like, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the, like, they're late for Miss Kwan's class. Who actually does have a chalkboard this episode. <laughs> and, um, they had to give a book report. Um, about, uh, Toby and JT give, like, a bullshit book report. Mm-hmm. And Miss Kwan's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> Thank you, Kwan's like, what month is it? Is it over? <laughs> oh, God, it's only September. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, and then... Um, Ashley and, uh, not Ashley, Emma and Manny come in, and, like, they're, like, Manny's holding up the shorts. They're, like, the realest. And, like, what I love about it is, like, Manny, like, they're jumping into a presentation, and Manny, like, doesn't even bat an eye. I, bat an eye. She's just like, yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm holding up your pants. I'm holding up your pants. <laughs> um, and Sean notices immediately, like, something's off. Yes. <laughs> Sean, Sean's very intrigued. Like, I don't even want to say, like, it's distressed. He just looks very curious for a lot of this. He's just like, what's going on? Okay. <laughs> oh. All right, something's up. Um, so then, um, like, JT is not being not funny and just oh my awful. God. By the way, like, he's making all these snide remarks. All of them have to do with the fact that Emma's wearing big pants, because, like, what else is JT going to draw from his repertoire? And, like, somebody had the nerve to be like, oh, oh nice one, JT, after, like, one of them. And I'm like, you're a liar. You're not funny. <laughs> nope, no. So, um, and finally, the, the straw that breaks the camel's bag, he's just like, did Emma pee her pants? Yeah. And Emma's just like, no, I started menstruating today. 50% of the population goes through it. Grow up! And so, before when Ashley was talking to Terry about how she wants to break up with Jimmy, Toby drops a plate. Like, yeah. Because he's yeah. emptying the dishwasher. He drops a pen this time, and it's actually a pretty good comedic beat. It is. Uh, it really and, is. Oh, and, like, there's also, like, Ashley's like, stop spying at me. He's like, I was five feet away. That was also a really good line. Toby was actually quite likable in this episode and quite funny. Um, and then she's like, can I get on my presentation? He's like, everybody goes through it, right, Miss Kwan? And she's like, exactly. He's like, good for you, Miss Kwan. I, I was actually very happy to see that a teacher was, like, affirming a student because, like, a lot of teachers get very cagey about this, and, like, I'm sure there's many, many reasons why, and there's deeper societal <laughs> reasons, but, like, I love that Quan's like, yeah, yeah, what? It's like she was waiting for a time to, to knock JT down ten pegs, and, like, this was the time, and she was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I feel like she, like, there was a, like, we didn't see a single tear roll down her eye of pure joy. It's like somebody shut that kid up. And like then we cut to Sean and Sean is smiling. Sean is so cute during this scene. He's, he's so, so cute during this episode. He's so cute. He's just like so supportive and 
I don't want to say like sm- he's a little smitten. He's a little oh, like he's, he's so into Emma like being empowered, and it's like this really feel good dynamic. Um, and then we cut to like. So we wrap up the Ashley thing where Ashley and Jimmy apologize to each other at the locker. They hug. Or no. No, uh, well, first we resolve Emma's plot. Yeah, so Emma's just like, hey. Um, it's like the next day. Yeah, Emma's like, hey, Paige, do you want to sign my, um, do you want to sign my petition to get a tampon to send for in the bathroom? And she's like, yeah, sure. And then she's like, oh, Sean, would you, do you want to uh, sign it? I Does she actually tell him what's going it's on? It's for tampons. She's just like, it's for tampons. And he's just, he signs it and then says, literally the cutest thing ever. It's so good. If Emma thinks it's a good idea, it must be a good idea. It's so cute. It is so cute. And it's like a, this another really important moment, I think, in this episode when you consider the younger audience that watched Degrassi, like, to have a cis boy be like, yeah, this sounds good. Like, I want to support this person um, because, like, it's clearly something that's necessary. And, like, to have a boy, I don't know, be supportive of a girl's intellect and respect that, respect her. And I don't know, there's just something really, really nice and potentially setting a good example in this media, particularly in how Sean sees Emma. Yeah. Whew. It's so good. Uh, and then, you know, Jimmy naturally make up, but who cares? Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about it. We already yeah. went through it. Like, I like how this episode starts a very serious talk about Jimmy naturally, then immediately, like, exactly at the 30-minute mark, we're just like, oh, we're gonna switch gears, talk about the B-plot, and we're all like, woo! Because it was like, it's such a breath of fresh air. Um, like, in many more ways than just, oh, we've been watching Degrassi and we've been slogging through it, but, like, even in 2018... There's not that much, there's a lot of, like, nonfiction, I feel like, that floats around that takes, like, a very positive take toward menstruation. But to find media that handles it in a way that is so upfront and so positive is not, still not the easiest. Like, I feel like my experience with menstruation in media, especially when I was that age, and even now I'm drawing a blank, I'm sure there's some things, but for whatever reason I'm just not thinking of them, this episode... And also, I feel like it was, like, just as long as we're to- together or whatever it is. Like, a, I think it's, like, a Judy Bloom book. Like, I remember the character getting her, the lead character getting her period for the first time at, like, a dance, like, a middle school dance or something like that. And that was probably the most unflinching portrayal of a period that I had ever read at, or really media I've consumed outside of this Degrassi episode. Yeah, I like it. Just does. I've read a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't really now doesn't really come up for me that often to the point where that's why I'm like, I don't know how to talk about this because like, yeah. you know, it's and I'm like I you know I've I've discussed this. I have a sister, but it's and yeah you know, I've been through all this stuff, but it's still not something that's discussed around me that I fully understand it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of like. If, like, obviously, like, I did, I did women's and gender studies, so, like, I've read a whole bunch of academic stuff talking about it, but obviously, like, not everyone's gonna sit around reading gender theory, like, <laughs> not everyone's gonna sit around reading these types of documents, um, to find something that is accessible to multiple audiences that's entertaining as well, like, that's not an easy thing to find about the topic of menstruation, so to find 
something like this that, you know, could it be more gender neutral? Absolutely. But to find something that is from the early aughts that nailed it so real and so true that I would not be opposed to people and kids in 2018 seeing it is like a huge accomplishment. Yeah. I just, I, I just feel like I've either failed or I've just failed to learn about this one aspect of like the people I know's lives. Cause I just, I want to understand, but I, I just don't know how to. I think that it also kind of speaks to this forbidden quality of the topic of menstruation, right? It's like we as a society, whether intentionally or not, still look at it as a dirty thing. It's a gross thing. If, you know, you see a tampon, even just a tampon wrapper, like you're going to freak out or like how many people like are nervous for a friend to go through a certain section of their bag to grab something because what if they see like some pads and some tampons? Like, it's just something that we don't have as, uh, not to use your name, but as frank of conversations about <laughs> as we definitely should. And I feel like good on Degrassi for having that type of conversation um, because it's it's still not talked about very much. Like even if you read YA fiction, so much YA fiction features cis girls as the protagonists, but not a lot of them actually deep dive into like, oh, I got my period. Oh, like, whoops, I forgot, to, like, I didn't change my tampon in time. Like, that sucks. Like, they don't, <laughs> it's, it's, and but it's a very real experience, right? Like, everyone has that experience, like, every so often, and especially when you're a young adult and you're still figuring out that type of stuff. And you don't see it as much. And if you are, you're considered kind of avant-garde in the genre, as opposed to this is actually a very natural function that presumably a lot of your protagonists and a lot of the cast of characters in your books are going to experience. Yeah, I've, I feel like there's a lot of glibness in other media regarding this. Like, this is the first time where it's like, oh, this young girl's going on a very personal journey. Well, it's either like, there's the glibness of like, it's an offhanded comment, or it's joked about, but like I love I love this episode because I was just, I, I felt like I was able to understand something when Emma is just like this is why this is how this is affecting me I don't mm -hmm. feel like I'm a kid anymore yeah you know and um, you know it's like I feel like it's either um, like it's like one of two things it's either you're very glib about it or you're basically like that's one scene from Carrie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, this was, like, right in the middle, like, where I was just like, oh, okay, so I feel like I've learned something. I understand mm -hmm. more. I'm happy for that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just this real... And even if you know it, it's an affirming type of experience. So it's, like, one of those things where it's like, man, like, I've been there, Emma. Like, I've had those concerns and, like, you know as a trans person, you add more complication to this, but, like, to be fearful of the changes that are going to come is not just a trans experience. I think a lot of cis people feel it, too, where it's, like, you are at this moment in your journey of personhood where things are going to change and you can't really control it, and it just was this moment where it's, like, it, it felt so great, I guess, for lack of better terms, to see a character speaking to the experiences that I had when I was that age. Yeah. It was just a, a, like an amazing experience in a way. And it, like I said, like it made me remember why I love this series so much. 
Yeah, I like that. This is like one of the first episodes where I was just like, I get it now. Yeah, I get the Degrassi love. Like, yeah, because this episode just is so well, just so good. Yeah, and and it really speaks to. I mean, when you talk to people about Degrassi, this this plot in particular is the one that a lot of people remember. A lot of people. I mean, not to say that the Jimmy and Ashley plot isn't important. I think it's a really good plot as well, but. Not only is there something so, like, you know, so visceral about, like, Emma, like, staining her skirt and things like that, but, like, there's so many truths in this plot that I think make it so memorable and make it so, so worth talking about well after certain people have seen the series or even thought about this series. So, what I'm going to do, um, because this episode is written by Susan Nielsen and Tassie Cameron, it's the first one of this season we've seen so far where it's been just the two women. Like, Tessie wrote on Basketball. What I'm getting at is I want to see if this is, like, our dream team. Yeah, like, this is the combination. Okay, well, how how do you feel about the mating game? Because that was Susan, Susan Nielsen and Tessie Cameron and Jan Moore, who's a dude. Mating game. I had to remember. Oh, um, Mating Game, I thought, ended on a really good note. Yeah. I actually love the ending of Mating Game. I think a lot of the beginning part is really rough, but I think the ending with Jimmy and Ashley just kind of like, we don't have to do this. Yeah. It was a really good message. Yeah. So, I'm going to just, I want to keep an eye on the writers now and see if, like, this Susan and Tassie are just, like, this dream team of writing good episodes. I really hope so. I hope that's the case because, like, I feel like that happens sometimes where it's like oh is, are these two writers writing oh i hope like oh this episode's gonna be a good one like it's always a nice feeling when that's the case yeah um so my grade for this episode is an a plus like yeah. i i just felt it's really good all around and what's kind of nice about the issue of the week kind of aspect is that this is potentially something you can show someone who maybe doesn't have as much context to degrassi but you know, they could probably still get something out of it, too. I feel like you could just show this blind to a, um, show this blind to, like, a class. Yeah. And, you yeah. Know. It feels like something that I would, I wouldn't be opposed to showing in, like, I teach, like, a class right now called Race, Class, Gender, and Ethnicity. This feels like an episode that would be worth at least showing, well, actually showing both parts and then discussing gender and things like that about. I think that you could potentially use this as an education tool but also as an entertainment tool yeah so let's go to character rankings i feel like there's going to be an upswing for a lot of people this one yep um well i mean let's face facts Paige has grabbed sean's hand and they are just rocketing through the solar system at this point <laughs> Paige is just like come on kid we're heading for the top <laughs> The image is so good in my head <laughs> and oh Paige is Paige is holding sean's hand with her right hand and doing the Superman like fist raise with the other, oh, they heck just yeah. soar through the, the universe. Heck yeah! Um, Emma gets an upswing. Also, like I mean, she was already pretty high, but like she's rising up even more for putting JT in his place. Mm-hmm. JT still tumbling farther through the bottom. Oh, we haven't even mentioned how he like checks Emma out when she's wearing her outfit. By the way, like he's like swarming her like freaking gnat it's gross. oh doesn't he call her sexy yeah like he's like oh like something like that's that shirt is sexy it's like a sweater it's like covering her whole body he doesn't know anything anyway <laughs> jt 
Get it together. Seriously. Um, Toby, Toby's like has has bid JT goodbye and is rising a bit more. Because like I just felt kind of bad for Toby because it's just like he's trying his hardest to keep like the family together or keep like I don't know. Like I felt like I just felt like he was just trying, just mm-hmm. trying really hard to do the right thing. It's true. Um. And he didn't join, like, he he laughed along with his idiot friend, but he didn't, like, join in on the teasing. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Uh, Spike continues to rise. Also, just good mom. Um, Ashley's mom is still kind of, like, is more nebulous. Like, I feel like she's an interesting character. I wouldn't necessarily rank her high, but I think she's intriguing. Yeah. Um, Miss Kwan... Yeah, she's rising. <laughs> like, I liked, la- uh, I think it was the last episode, where she's just like, oh, a haiku about ha- hating to write haikus. You know what? That's still a feeling, so I'll give her credit. <laughs> I love her. It's this long-suffering middle school teacher. <laughs> Relatable. Um, Jimmy, and Jimmy's rising a little bit, because it's just like, feel bad for him. <laughs> Honestly, a bit, bit of a pity rise. Uh, Did you rank Ashley yet? Yeah, uh, Ashley... Ashley, for asserting herself, is also on the rise. Mm-hmm. Um, so Terry. Terry, and Terry's staying kind of where she is. Like, yeah. I just didn't feel like Terry contributed that much. I will say it was kind of nice seeing her just be a friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was kind of nice seeing her just, like, being there and not being picked on constantly and not being teased or pushed out of conversations. Like, it was nice just seeing her be the friend of for once. Yeah. Um, I think, is that it? Kind of it, I feel like. Yeah, that wasn't a huge cast this episode. No. Well, Manny, maybe. Oh, Manny's on the rise. Manny, yeah, Manny was, like, the best <laughs> in this. Like, Manny is, like, the friend I wish I had in seventh grade. <laughs> Manny's, Manny's got your back. Yeah, like, I wish I had somebody as loyal and good as Manny when I was growing up. Like, I feel like my life would have been a little different. <laughs> um, and just for our new headcanon, if that is such, Spinner's on the rise a little bit for helping. <laughs> So headcanon why Spinner is on the rise as well. <laughs> for for unbuttoning his like weird Adidas swishy pants and revealing oversized gym shorts. Hang on, I'm just gonna jump in the bathroom real quick. <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah. Right? So I don't wanna have I, I already got I already I got some detentions for mooning and I feel like I don't wanna do this again. I need to learn. I, I've, learned, I've learned my lesson. I'm gonna go in the bathroom to unbutton. Exactly. But uh yes. <laughs> Oh, that, um, the, the dude who, I'm giving him a ranking too, the dude who made a cr- gross comment to a mom and her, like, preteen daughter, he can fucking burn in hell. Like, he's yeah, the, the lowest. ranking, the ranking is going far into the core of the earth. He gets to, he gets to, to sign his name to the list of pedophiles along with the guy from the first episode. Jesus, right? I just want the Nelson family to not be negatively impacted by gross middle-aged white men anymore. <laughs> oh. Jesus. But, um... And they looked kind of similar, too. Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah. It was just... Uh, it was bad. But, I mean, it did lead to a really important theme, but also gross. Yeah, like, I want to get to that theme without having to deal with these dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to that bigger conversation of, like, how much do you have to traumatize women to, like get to the point in the story 
like, there's, like, one video game reviewer who just constantly points out, like, beating the shit out of women does not equal strength. Having them do important things, it, that's what it is. It's yeah. just like, I feel it's the same thing. It's just like, we don't have to build strength through microaggressions. Manny, like, Paige showed me she's super strong just by being there for somebody else. Exactly. No, it's very true. But, uh, yeah, no, he's, he's terrible. Yeah. I, I, I hate him. Yes. I hate him. Um, no redeeming value whatsoever. No. Um, if, he's, if he walked out of that mall and got hit by a car, nothing, like, poor, thank God. nothing important would have been lost. Truly. Um, I guess go on to recommendations. I don't know if you have it, because I feel like I almost would recommend this episode. Honestly, yeah. Like, most of the time, yeah, because, like, most of the time we're trying to make up for what the episode has lacked, and I don't think this episode lacked anything. No. I mean, I'll just recommend something I'm liking right now, which I, I can, I'll do. Okay. Um, which is entirely unrelated. Uh, but because when, as of the time we're recording this, the Tony Awards happened a couple days ago, so I figured now is as good of a time as any to, uh, just kind of talk about how much I am currently loving Angels in America. Um, the play has liter- both plays, I guess you could say, have literally not left my consciousness since I saw it a couple months back. Um, the current cast, I mean, I don't know... Based on schedule, I don't know if it will still be in its New York run when this episode comes out. If it does, try and do anything you can to see it. They're doing a $70 lottery to see both both parts of it, which is really worth seeing. Um, and if you haven't checked it out, you can't get to Broadway to see it or California where they're doing another production. Um, the HBO miniseries is also a really good substitute for it. Um, a lot of people our age kind of just dismiss it as this really long gay AIDS play. But it's so much more than that. If you want to see fully realized, complicated characters, a predominantly um, gay cast, a and a very interesting insight into what it was like to be alive and dealing with the circumstances of being in the Reagan era, it's such a worthwhile thing to check out. Whether you read the play, watch the miniseries, get to see a live performance of it, definitely see it because I've legitimately not been able to stop thinking about it since I have seen it. Like, that's how much it, like, moved me. And I haven't been moved by a piece of media like this since I saw Moonlight. So I feel like, which is also a great thing to recommend, but, like, both are just powerful pieces of media. Definitely check out Angels in America if you haven't yet. So that's my my recommendation that doesn't have anything to do with the episode, just something that I think is really good because this episode is also really good. Um, I was going to, uh... Uh, actually, you made me interested. I'm, I might check out that play too. Um, Please, if you if you I haven't seen the miniseries yet, so if you can't get to Broadway, I'll just watch it with you. Watch the miniseries with you. Um, I like actually speaking on, uh, the idea the the idea of microaggressions. I want to, and also stuff that's not quite fitting into Degrassi, but I want to recommend the Dessa album Chime. Dessa is my favorite female rapper. Um, I've met her twice. She's lovely. I think I've probably mentioned that on the podcast already. But, like, I am in love with this album. Like, it is so good. And she actually has this, um, this song called Fire Drills, which is about, like, microaggressions and, um, just dealing... I, I might make it the outro to this episode, but, like, it's about dealing with, you know, men's nonsense. Like... My favorite, um, my favorite lines from it are like, like, we don't say go out and be brave. Nah, we say be careful, stay safe. Um, and like, she's like, I think a woman's worth, I think 
that she deserves a job other than motherfucking vigilance. Don't give Ooh, me vigilance. That's she, really good. She is so good. <laughs> Such a good lyric. Oh my goodness. I love it. My sister refers to her as ballad rap, and like, because a lot of her raps are very sad, but check it out. Oh, and she also has a thing on YouTube about like going through science to get a an X out of her brain, and it's super interesting. And like the coolest person, this motorcycle traveling neurologist is on it too. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, she's rad. She's rad as fuck. That's <laughs> so, awesome. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I guess, um, so if you are interested in joining the conversation at any point, please don't hesitate to email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Um, we are wrapping up the first season sooner rather than later, but obviously, so if you want to jump in on that, email us as soon as possible. If you want to join us for a later part of, of you have specific episodes or specific characters, introductions you want to get to, email us so that we can arrange to put you into this at some point. Um, it's really fun talking with a third voice or even a fourth voice. Um, it adds to the conversation, and while we like to go pretty hard, it's always really fun to have somebody else um also if you want to contribute to things that you really like sharing things that you really like about the episode that we're talking about um you can either send us an audio recording at ihopepod at gmail.com um or you can send us an email or a message of some kind that either of us can read or both of us if you really want to simultaneously (laughs) um read on the podcast as well um, we're also on tons of social media, so Twitter at IHopePod, Tumblr, IHopePod.tumblr.com. Um, we also have a Facebook group, which is I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast, um, which you are absolutely free to join, continue conversations, make, uh, make statements, whatever you feel you want. Um, and also, if you could please rate us on, we got definitely iTunes. Mm-hmm. Um, rate, subscribe. Um, and leave a review. Yes, for sure, because that stuff, I mean, if you listen to podcasts, you know by now, that stuff really helps us get more viewers, um, because we would like to have this conversation be beyond us, because it's very (laughs) obvious that this, this show and the themes of this show positively impact people, and we want as many people as we can in on that conversation. Yes, we want to make this a dis like, a just super awesome discourse. Yeah, it, like, we want, we're gonna reclaim discourse- for its pure academic sense and not the BS <laughs> internet, like, this that has happened, we're going to reclaim it in a good way and have nice layered conversations about this. Where people are going to be polite and respectful. And not just really cryptic and subtweeting constantly on their TLs. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, if you want to talk to me, I'm on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. I'm uh, at Stuck Dancing. Uh, so feel free to talk to us individually as well. Um, but other than that, um, I guess, I guess we're, we're kind of done. We've had a positive time, so it's, like, yeah. really weird. I'm, I'm on such, like, an, a happy note. Um, but that being said, um, whatever it takes, we hope we can make it through, and we really hope that you'll be there with us. So, see you around, everybody. Later. You can't be too broke to break. As a woman, always something left to take. So you shouldn't try to stay too late. Or talk to strangers, look too long, go too far out of range Cause angels can't watch everybody all the time Stay close, hems low, safe inside That formula works if you can live it But it works by putting half the world off limits
when we break. Now we say, be careful, stay safe. In any given instance, that don't hurt. It sinks in like stilettos and soft earth. Like the big win is not a day without an incident. I beg to differ with it. I think a woman's worth. I think that she deserves a better line of work than motherfucking vigilance. Don't give me vigilance. But definition, you can't make a difference if the big ambition is simply standing sentry to your innocence. That's not a way to live. That can't be what a woman is. That gives her nothing to aspire to. What that is, what that is, it's just a life of running fire drills.